0: Welcome to Talking Tax, a Bloomberg Tax Podcast. In this series, we talk to attorneys, accountants, and other tax professionals about the latest developments in the world of tax. I'm your host, Andrea Ben Yosef, and we're excited that you're here with us today. Thank you for joining me for part two of our podcast on partnership audit regulations. I'm here again with Kate Krauss, and in the first podcast, we covered the partnership representatives. And in this podcast, we're going to cover the statutory amendments from March 2018 and what those did, especially in the areas of adjustments and the scope of the regulations. So, Kate, hello again. Good morning. So let's talk about now what happened in March. What did these statutory amendments do? What were, were the two biggest issues that they fixed and what was the problem they had to fix?
1: So one issue relates to the Section 6226 push-out election. Under the new partnership audit rules, uh, there are various ways of, of, of treating an adjustment if the IRS adjusts the, the partnership's return. And one of these is for the partnership itself to pay tax. And uh, another option that people have been very interested in is to make uh, what people call the a Section 6226 push-out election. And when a partnership makes this election, that means the partnership doesn't have to pay tax. It effectively pushes the adjustment out to its historic partners. The ones who should have paid the tax in the first place. Um, so, so this is a, a an option that's very attractive for a number of reasons. And when the statute was initially enacted, um, a, a, a lot of people thought th- this is great. Um, this 6226 pushout election gives us the right result. Uh, you end up with the right people paying the right amount of tax. It's the historic partners that are paying tax, and they're going to pay the right amount. And you don't you don't end up paying um, more than you should. Um, so so it looked uh, very desirable. And then people look more closely at the statute, and they realize, well, the historic partners have to pay more tax if they underreported their tax in the earlier year. But what happens if they already paid too much tax? The partnership might have allocated too much income to them in a prior year. Um, How how is that treated with this push-out election? And the answer was uh, they're they're not treated very well. Uh, If the partnership made a a push-out election, the partners who already paid too much tax for a tax year would be stuck. They would not get a refund. They would not reduce the future amount of tax they had to pay. Uh, they just ended up paying too much tax in the earlier year, and um, that was unfortunate. And, and this could uh, arise if the partnership misallocated income. So it allocated um, some income to me, and it should have been allocated to you, Andrea. Um, then I would have paid too much tax because um, the partnership allocated this extra income to me. Um, and then when the partnership makes the push-out election, um, I'm stuck. I don't get a refund or any other tax benefit. Um, and then you would have to pay tax on that same income. Another situation where this can arise is uh, with something like depreciation. If the partnership thought it had a shorter life in its depreciable property and the IRS thought it had a longer life, the partnership might report too much depreciation in an earlier year, and too little depreciation in a later year. So the partners would be omitting income in an earlier year and uh, overreporting income in a later year. Um, so there are a number of situations where where this this would have been a problem.
0: And then it couldn't be fixed so, under the under the latest rules.
1: Yeah, yeah. So so the government's position was, uh, look, this is what the statute says. Um, we don't have authority to uh, contradict the statute um, in our regulations. Our regulations are supposed to implement the statute, not contradict, contradict it. So um, there's not anything we can do uh, until Congress amends the statute. So in March 2018, Congress amended the statute. And um, so now under the statute, if you have a favorable adjustment, and the partnership makes the 6226 election, This will reduce the amount of tax um, the partners. Oh, so if they've already paid too much tax for a year, they'll uh, get a refund or get to uh, pay less tax in a in a future year. So, so that's a huge uh, step forward for taxpayers. Um, now,
0: I'm sure there was uh, a lot important- of relief about that.
1: There, there was a lot of relief, there was a lot of pressure there. Um, it, it is important to note though that um, that it, the 6226 election can still result in paying too much money um, even though we have this uh, statutory amendment in the uh, regulations that were just proposed in August um, to reflect. The amendment. Um,
0: so is there- it's clear
1: that yes, it's true. If if I paid too much tax in an earlier year, then um, I'll get a tax benefit in a later year. So maybe I'll get a refund, or I'll pay less tax. Um, so so the the calculation of the amount of tax will work out for me. But the problem uh, is really with interest. So so um, if. There's an underpayment of tax. The partners have to pay underpayment interest on that. And that's at a higher interest rate than uh, you normally have for income tax deficiency. So it's a short-term AFR plus uh, five points, and and normally it's plus three. So it's two points higher for the um, underpayment leg. But then if you have an overpayment leg... Um, so, like in the depreciation example, where one year um, I, I omitted income and the next year I over-reported income, um, for, for the year I omitted income, I have to pay extra interest. For the year where I uh, paid too much tax because I overreported my income, I don't get any overpayment interest at all. And... Um, Interest can be uh, significant, and here it's it, you know it's a lot of it is just timing. Like, is the income in the right year? Is it in year one or year two? And you have to pay um, underpayment interest at a higher rate for the bad year, and you don't get any um, overpayment interest for um, year where you overpaid. Uh, so it's still not a perfect solution to make those sixty two twenty six Um and, and there are other practical reasons why why it may not be a perfect solution, but but the statutory amendments and the new final regulations are, are definitely a, a big step forward in approving that.
0: So that it decision. solves some of the problems, but not all of them. There's still the interest problem. That's right.
1: Problem. That, that's right. It, it, You know, it, you know, financially, it's it's going to give you a better result uh, than what we had before the statutory amendment. Um, there are also practical issues with making the 6226 election. Um, if you make the selection, you have to send effectively an amended K1 to each of your partners, and a lot of times partnerships don't want to do that. A lot of times, uh, practically speaking, it's uh, just easier for the partnership to pay some tax and move on, and not bother the partners. Um, so you have uh, practical issues, um, investor relations, to also take into account.
0: So that's a decision they have to make on an individual basis, just depending on, right. on the circumstances. Okay, so what's the other issue that they these new statutory amendments addressed with the scope? And could you talk about that a little bit?
1: Sure. So, so the statute was enacted in November 2015, and uh, it had some words... Uh, that sort of described what the scope was. What what kind of adjustments are governed by these, these rules? And if you just looked at the words in the statute, it looked pretty narrow. Uh, it looked a lot more narrow than what had been covered by TEFRA um, for prior tax years. And uh, in the first uh, round of proposed regulations, the government said, uh, "Yeah, we see these words in the statute, but." Uh, surely that can't be what Congress intended because that's so narrow and Congress, you know, wouldn't have been thinking that this is just such a limited regime. So, so we're gonna take a, a much more expansive view of, of, of these rules. Um, and, and so there was some uncertainty on, on how much uh, authority the government had to assert this broad scope in the, in the proposed regulations. Then uh, in March 2018, uh, Congress um, amended the statute, and one of the things that amended was um, the scope of of these rules. And Congress said, "Yeah, you know what? You're right. These rules do have a very broad scope." So uh, Congress has basically affirmed the, the the Treasury's position that that these are are far-reaching. Rules, uh, these rules are not limited to adjustments to the partnership 1065. These rules um, will apply to a lot of things that you might not be thinking about. So, one kind of uh, adjustment that will be governed by these rules is whether there is a disguised sale between a partner and a partnership. Those are um, explicitly listed in the um, proposed regulations that were just released uh, a few weeks ago.
0: Now, was that in uh, question before, or did people well, assume? Uh,
1: yeah, under the um, under the words of the statute as initially enacted, it wasn't clear that disguise sales would be covered. Um, and now, under the amended statute and under the the re-proposed regulations that is clearly within the scope. So the partnership might owe tax on um, a partner's transfer of property to the partnership, if it's determined that that transfer was a disguise sale, and not a tax-free contribution.
0: Were there any other surprises in this broadened scope?
1: Uh, yeah, so... Uh, and, uh, There have been many rounds of guidance and many changes and and things. And so uh, in an earlier round, um, it looked like uh, an adjustment based on uh, Section 751A or 751B would be covered by these rules. So if a partner sold its partnership interest and uh, mischaracterized the gain or loss on the sale um, as ordinary or capital, that would be uh, governed by these rules and the partnership would owe tax. The, the newly uh, proposed or the re-proposed regulations that we just got in uh, August now um, do not explicitly mention 751A and 751B, um, but um, this it, it doesn't mean that those are outside the scope. When you look at, at the other language in, in the regulations, it, it's, it's possible that the government will continue to take the position that, that those issues are covered by the new audit rules. And then the, the thing that's uh, most uh, surprising to me, at least, in the, the latest round of proposed regulations is how it treats liability to the partnership. So, there's an example in uh, the new proposed regulation where a partnership report that has liability and it classifies the liability as a uh, recourse liability under Section 752. And then the IRS audits the partnership and determines that the liability is actually non-recourse. And um, in this example... That uh, change in the classification of that liability creates an imputed underpayment and the partnership has to uh, pay tax on that amount, even if it wouldn't have affected the amount of tax owed by any of the partners in any prior tax year.
0: So how did that change? uh,
1: This goes um, beyond what um, was apparent, uh, at least to me, in the originally proposed regulations. Um, And um, one thing that's that's, uh, especially troubling is, uh, well, there are actually two examples in the proposed regulations that address this kind of situation. And in in one, um, the the amount of tax the partnership owes uh, depends on how much uh, the liability is is shifted from the way the partnership reported it to what the IRS determines the proper allocation of the liability to be. Uh, In the other example, the the imputed underpayment is simply, you know, there's $100 of liability. It was misclassified as recourse. It should have been non-recourse. So that's like $100 of income and the partnership has to pay tax on $100 of income. And it doesn't even ask whether this actually changed how that liability was allocated to the partners. So, so one thing that's really troubling about this is, um, normally when you're you're reporting the partnership's liabilities to the partners, these are numbers that 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 accountants don't worry a whole lot about getting right. Most of the time, it doesn't have any immediate tax consequences, um, and uh, th- th- this means that things that just seem like just general informational items on the K-1 now can uh, create actual tax liabilities uh, in the course of an audit in a later year.
0: So how should practitioners deal with that? Just be more careful or be more thoughtful or?
1: Yeah, it, I mean, it's important. um you know, that, that in preparing the tax return, you, you give serious consideration to, is this actually a recourse liability or is it a non-recourse liability? And, uh, am I allocating it correctly to the partners? And, and this is something that you need to pay attention to, even if it doesn't affect anyone's tax liability for that year. Um, if you want to avoid, um, a future adjustment where a partnership might actually end up having to pay tax because you, you misreported something like
0: this on the K-1. So the consequences could come down the road when you don't expect it.
1: That's
0: right. All right. Well, Kate, thank you so much for giving us this part two of the podcast to talk about the partnership audit regulations. And um, is any more guidance expected to come out anytime soon? Or this is it for now? If you had a crystal ball. Uh, Yeah,
1: that's a great question. (laughs) There's always more guidance coming out. (laughs) Um, uh, And and things are are always changing. The the latest proposed regulations are proposed to be effective now. um, But uh, these might change. And the final regulations might be different. And the final regulations might have effect now. Uh, One challenge here is that even though the statute is two and a half plus years old, um, these rules are really complicated and really difficult. And it takes a lot of time and effort to figure out how, how to implement them properly. Um, and um, so it takes time to work out. And uh, but, but at the same time, they're effective right now. And we need to have some rules in place. Um, so, so we might effectively have things um, re- retroactively applicable.
0: So keep on doing what's out now and just keep your ears open. <laughs> Right. All right. Well, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today on Talking Tax. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at Bloomberg Tax and subscribe to our show on iTunes and SoundCloud. Tune in next time for more analysis on the newest tax issues. From the nation's capital, I'm Andrea Benyosef.